Please welcome Tim Cumming. Tim is a poet, artist and writer on music and the arts. His most recent books are Knuckle and the soon-to-be-released book Adventures Among the Living. Please welcome Tim to the stage. I am certified the only human being in a jacket. <laughs> so uh, this is a short story come, sort of essay called Well-Loved Tales. Um, and the land here is fairyland. The landscape is that of childhood, before and after literacy. And it's about the shifting landscape of the adoptee who's in search of roots and origins. Now, both the root and the leaves of Rapunzel, which is the story I'm going to be talking about, are vitamin-rich sources of goodness. I hope the story is too. Um, it's about the power of fairy tale the strange fairy land of Rapunzel in particular, which is the first story I learned to read. because I was a remedial pupil. I, I make my living out of writing and so on now. But I didn't learn to read until I was about eight. Some things in life remix your colors in ways you can't imagine. Mind and matter mix like pigments, and it's the strong colors that bleed through. Your gravity shifts. You hear a new bass line. Your moves change. Being adopted, exchanging one name for another, is like being mugged of your identity. There's a violent wrench a long way beneath the surface, and all this wreckage to deal with after the storm, except you can't classify it as wreckage because you're dealing with the basic material that makes up your life. And the most basic of all is that identity switch. The first dislocation, the unexplainable disappearance of the mother who bore you. It's the plot of a fairy tale. Sublimate it and bury it as deep as you like in anger or acquiescence. It's not going anywhere. It surrounds you. It's your wagon train. It's your story. How are you going to tell it? The first story I ever read was Rapunzel, the Ladybird edition with watercolors on one page and 14-point text on another. Whoever did the Ladybird watercolors were real professionals of their craft. The tale is full of nasty forks and twists and I felt them all. The couple who can't have children, the wife who conceives a child and pines for the old woman's Rapunzel, the sustenance she lacks. The timorous husband who climbs the walled garden way beyond his years and picks the vivid salad greens from their beds of saturated color, a color so strong it has a life and movement of its own. His capture their agreement. The birth of the child and its adoption by the old woman. With fairy tales, it's amazing how many foundlings and orphans and adoptees blaze in their furnace. The old couple disappear after that. Whatever they did was irrevocable. 
it was done. They cross the line, then fall into a vacuum of not here, never was. The woman will pine for the witch's green Rapunzel till the universe spins out to a series of dots and dashes. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. The young beauty in the tower, the young wandering prince who climbs her tresses and makes her fat with sex and progeny. The old witch puts a measure to the girl's waist. She is the hated second law of thermodynamics. Something from nothing, you dirty little bitch. <laughs> the pictures in my mind of the witch's garden and the tower through the trees of the forest that the young prince sees. I'd feel them twang and vibrate and shimmer. The pictures would begin to move and I'd see the old man creep through the darkness, enormous dark green leaves hanging in still air, not a sound, not a breath of wind. And then the witch's finger, you. I twitched, looked up from the first story I could read, climbing the fine hair pinged by pinned by a nail and ending in dead fingers, speaking in tongues. What was the girl virgin to the old witch? And when she was swollen with child and cast out into the thorny wilderness, I saw Gethsemane in a painting of my dad's from between art school and the war, of Christ on his knees at the mouth of a cave at night, monochrome of his crimson jalaba. The painting hang hung in my parents' bedroom. The pigment my dad had used was rose madder, a crimson with a long history. It's the dye used for British redcoats, a plant for the color of panic and life and blood. The prince's eyes blooded by thorns, the thorns and petals of a red briar rose. I can remember learning to read the thorny black marks into words. The prince stepping through the parting wood and looking straight at me. And then the witch vanishes, and so does the tower and the Rapunzel. Never here, never was. Just years in the wilderness, until he hears her sing and her tears heal his sight. Remote vision. I remember the ache and terror built into that little paragraph, and he wandered alone for many years. So light on the tongue and the fingers, and so unendurable. I stared into the mouth of a story and never blinked. It was like staring into the mouth of a cave, one that had once been inhabited, and you could very faintly scent the habitation the thorns, the prince and the old witch, and the girl in the tower, and the fearful husband, and the greedy wife. They moved and flickered like figures on a cave wall under the light of a fat lamp. Fairy tales of the cave art of the ears and the tongue. I think they're just as old, stirring in the minds of the young. Every terror in life 
and the terror of death has been felt out first for us in fairy tales. Stephen Hawking acquainted them with stories for people afraid of the dark, but they're instructional, not escapist. They're there to make us fear the dark, not protect us from it. Riddles wrapped inside an enigma dropped into a well when you hear a faint echo. Like you're on the way to Thebes and there's this floppy bitch with claws resting under her dugs waiting to tear your head off and feed it to a ravenous disc-shaped sawmill of a mouth. Your name's Oedipus and you're the original tragedy. The foundling marked by the claws of an eagle. All adoption stories pull in their thread from the labyrinth and they end at the foot of Oedipus. The baby tossed into the wilderness because of a promise and a curse. Motherfucker killed his father, sired his own brother, kept on punching holes in his social network. He married his mother and killed his father and solved the riddle. How would my fate slot into that mythic template? Because their questions loaded with weapons, riddles feature large in myths and tales and songs like holes in a Swiss cheese. There's an academic fashion to date, very little in folklore further back than its first documentation, which is an odd twister of a position to take on an oral lineage of descent from the collective unconscious Carl Jung wrote about. The prince and the witch and the girl in the tower, forbidden fruits and blinding thorns. Etymologists trace back tales like the smith and the devil to the Bronze Age to even 6,000 years ago. They live in a steady state, way older than written matter. And it's worth noting that one of the Grimm's sources for the tales they collected was a neighbor, a neighbor woman who came to clean their house. And once, after telling them a tale, she returned, concerned that she'd placed the word incorrectly. And in the tales she told and had learnt and heard, Every word had a place as fixed as stars. Songs, we know, are more protean. They're carried to be spilled, and one song often pours through another. The devil riddles a young boy on the road. A gentleman lover puts life-changing riddles to the beautiful young sister who will take him to her bed. The bells of paradise is all riddle drenched in the musk of grail imagery. One half runs water, the other runs blood. John Barleycorn dealt with as if he was one of the bog people garroted over the peat workings of ancestral Neolithics. Barleycorn finds an antecedent in the Exeter Book of Riddles, pages of which were used sometime in the 10th century is beer mats. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>